We should start a Ponzi scheme. That would be a great We idea. should totally do an AI crypto scam. That would be like all of the buzzwords combined. Yeah. <laughs> AI crypto scam. Actually, AI you know what? Our horse point. racing agent could only take uh, our crypto bro coins to use it. So you've got to insert one crypto bro coin into the horse racing predictor to get your winning bet, which always <laughs> loses. So, Chris, there was really big news this week in AI out of New Zealand. A supermarket AI meal planner app suggested that uh, to create chlorine gas. <laughs> and this is a company in New Zealand, a, a supermarket chain, I believe, called Pack and Save. And they created this savey meal bot. And it was all intended to help people deal in New Zealand with the cost of living pressure by allowing them to put in ingredients that were in their fridge and then generate a recipe based on the, <laughs> the result. And so this thing uh, suggested things like poison bread sandwiches. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> poison bread sandwiches. Yum. Yes. Serve chilled and enjoy the refreshing, uh, refreshing fragrance. Uh, so, yeah, there are all these ridiculous recipes. Uh, I love that it called the the chlorine gas aromatic water mix. <laughs> the perfect non-alcoholic beverage to quench your thirst and refresh your senses. <laughs> it's sure going to refresh your senses. Yeah, so it seemed like to that they might put a stop to this, but I just actually went to their website. You can try it, savvymeal-bot.co.nz, and I put in that I had in my fridge eggs uh coffee and juice and it came up with excellent coffee juice <laughs> ingredients classic. two eggs one cup of coffee half a cup of juice instructions in a blender crack open the eggs and add them two pour in the coffee and juice three blend until smooth and frothy four serve <laughs> chilled and enjoy i like this one bleach infused rice surprise <laughs> what's interesting about it is they've stopped they've got it they had a box on the website where you could put in your ingredients but they've just completely disabled the input and now you have to select from popular items but you can literally still make ridiculous recipes with it <laughs> i mean yeah obviously it's people screwing around with it putting normal ingredients and adding bleach to the mix but they obviously didn't think it through in terms of telling it hey consider whether this is actually a food or not yeah, I think with a little bit of customization, they could have uh, stopped this. But hey, it's drawn worldwide attention to saving the meal bot. So perhaps one of the best marketing campaigns yet. Yeah, and I think prompt injections of those, that sort of trivial nature now, people are aware of that and would immediately, it's not like this company is setting out to kill people. You'd be quite aware, <laughs> okay, it's just some kids having some fun, like Taybot style. It's not really malicious and it's not really dangerous. Like no one's actually going to do that. I would hope. This is what I've been thinking about. Like no one talks really about Bing anymore apart from seeing previewed some of the new features like the uh, vision to, to explanation that was released through Bing and is still available. You can upload an image and it'll describe it using GPT-4 vision mm. because it doesn't have the Sydney persona anymore. I really think 
you know, that was so good for PR. Like these companies shouldn't avoid this uh, idea of putting personas on AI because it, it just makes them more interesting. And yeah, we say it every week. You got to have some fun with it. It's a lot more entertaining if you're regularly using AI stuff to, to have a bit of fun and a bit of personality and a bit of silliness there. If it's just, you know, stoically, you know, sticking to its task and being serious and solemn all the time, where's the fun in that? So the company... This week, with the least personality, OpenAI uh, announced GPT Bot, and it's open. Uh, GPT Bot is OpenAI's web crawler. Uh, this is their official web crawler. So everyone was talking about this that we needed a web crawler style crawl bot for AI. So if, for those unfamiliar with search engines, you can have a file called robots.txt on your website and you can tell it whether you uh, allow the search engine to crawl your website or not or disallow certain pages that you don't want to be crawled. Now, what's interesting about this is I've always seen that as a, a relatively fair exchange between the search engine and a website where you can allow them to crawl the website, you show up in their search results, you get traffic and can make money or monetize that traffic. So it seems like a really good two-way deal between the search engine and the website. The problem I think with this GPT bot is you can basically say OpenAI can or cannot crawl my website, but where is the incentive here? Yeah, I, I never thought about it in terms like you just described, but you're right. It's it's a really, it's a one-way transaction. They get all the benefits of it on an ongoing basis and you get nothing. Yeah, like I know you can just train on my entire website, which they did already anyway, let's be honest, like Stack Overflow content. And what what do I actually get out of it? And even if, like I know Bing and others have sources and, and Google's thing that everyone's forgotten about and no one cares about does it too. Yeah, and I guess there's examples where... Uh, you know, like for our product, right? We're a marketing software. If someone's like, what are the best marketing softwares and it lists yours in the list, then great. You probably do want that. So there would be cases where it would be favorable to be in there, I suppose. Yeah, you can totally see that being favorable, but is it enough to justify allowing them to access, you know, if you're like a news site or a blog or any of the sources of content that actually might have value. Well, the people making the grass-fed human-created content, right? Like the that we've spoken about. Like if you're making unique content that takes you time and money to create, that's when you really probably don't want it in there. Do you think they're just doing this to not get sued? I actually think it's... I'm even more cynical than you. I think it's actually so they're saying that everyone who doesn't now have this file is tacitly agreeing that it's okay to train on their data. Yeah, maybe so that's... it's like, oh, well, you, you could have stopped us if you just put this file there and knew about this. And like, they just, they just have the hubris to think everybody in the world knows who they are and will just comply with what they ask. So I, just I reckon find that's it funny that like... That now this is this will become like the standard, uh, I think, to block crawl access. But it's not going to stop anyone training another model in terms of competition to just go and crawl everything on the open internet anyway. Like, yeah, just like robots.txt, like it's it's a, a, an honor system, and I think it constrains the big guys because they're the ones everyone's looking at, and they're the ones where people will say, "Well, I had this file on this date. You've been trained, and and now it's it's come through." So. I, I think that it'll constrain them, but it doesn't stop your content from being out there to train other models, that's for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if other companies like Anthropic adopt this same 
capability, but you could argue it's sort of unfair to newer models in the sense that like OpenAI yeah. and Anthropic got to train on everything and now they're like, oh, now you can block us. <laughs> it's like the third pressing of olive oil. You get all the crap that's left over at the end. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't make a ton of sense. I think the the web's reaction, at least from the comments I've read around this announcement, is basically, you know, how is this how is this like helpful now, given they've already crawled everything? Sim- similar to what we're saying, uh, it it'll be interesting to see. Does everyone just go and quickly add this to their website, or like you said, are there some marketing style websites that it, it's actually helpful to have? open AI crawling and, and sourcing you. Yeah, yeah. I think optimizing to get your content in the model will be something that people look to do if there's an advantage for you to have that there. So there you have it. If you're a website owner, go and uh, allow it to crawl and maybe some prompt injection to get it to recommend your your products. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly right. So speaking of stealing content like OpenAI do across the web... You found a really interesting article this week where this was occurring with a writer that you follow writing long posts on aircraft air crash investigations. And of course on YouTube. My wife's biggest fear and my secret indulgence is reading <laughs> every week. Um, so basically what's happening or what's uh, alleged is happening, and I think everyone's fully aware that this does happen, is on YouTube. These guys are going and crawling content in articles, creating AI voiceovers, creating a series of faces as well, faces, images, everything to tell a narrative of someone else's story, produce videos, get a lot of uh, views, and then obviously be able to monetize that content. And there's a lot of research that goes into these articles. Like this isn't just content, like stealing an article about the latest NVIDIA chip or something. It's like these are in-depth research that would take a long time to do yeah there's a ton of analysis here and it the this the call out section that's most interesting is hello if you're hearing this being read by an ai voiceover on youtube you're watching stolen content this article was written by kira dempsey aka admiral cloudberg on august 5th 2023 and no permission was given for reproduction this message is a test to see if the thief is actually reading the articles before stealing them. It's a I really good we'll tactic. I wonder if Will now show up as stolen content because you've just read that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He'll think it's us. Hello, if you're watching. I love your articles. I'm yeah. not stealing them. What, like, this is interesting, though. People taking others... I, I mean, it's no different to taking any other content, really, and, and cloning it. It's just that it's much faster and easier to, to steal people's yeah, content. Yeah, this is more about the rise of, like, really good text-to-voice than it is about AI, large language models, necessarily facilitating the stealing. The difference is what you could do, and this is something that would, would really trip up this detection method is just use something like Claude 100K to rewrite the content in unique language. And then, you know, you sort of say, well, this isn't your content. This is something else. Yeah. Whether, they need to like, be better at stealing, essentially. All of these use cases are just people trying to figure out quick ways to make money at scale by automating AI, you know, crawling blogs like this. If you could automate that process where it's posting a video a day on aircraft investigations, crawling other people's content, slightly reworking them and Mm. making them interesting enough, 
there's clearly value in doing it, which is why they're they're doing it. Yeah, Otherwise, you would, quickly, you would quickly build a following, and then it really comes down to that question: is by publishing an article and putting it out there, you're not really conferring ownership of of what's written there, but also. If I can perfectly remember all of the stuff in your article and summarize it, do I not own the own output of what I've now written based on what I learned? It's very confusing. It's almost like copyright laws are going to need updating or I don't I don't even know how you would tackle this, but people are just not going to put their work out there anymore for fear of it being potentially just turned into YouTube videos for other people's Gain. Like that could be one way to look at it, or another yeah, way could be. You got on. You got on one hand the cheaper, really, really cheap ability to produce content now. On one hand, so you can make realistic-looking articles about, say, fictitious plane crashes, just fine, and get readership from that. And and you've got this guy on the other hand who's doing months of research and making. He makes his own diagrams and like all this sort of stuff, and then you think, well, I can produce that. Like, I really need to protect that. I can't just give that out. But if you don't give it out, you're not going to get the audience. It's hard. Yeah, it really devalues content production or the content production that trains the models or, or makes AI more useful. So I don't know. Like, if you were this guy, what would you do? Would you gate your content? Would you? I actually don't know the answer to that question. That's why I find it so interesting. Like, I think maybe trying to sabotage it like he's doing there is not a not a bad way, but I don't think that'll stop it. Yeah, it's definitely not going to stop it. I, I would feel really upset by it, but it's no different to in the past when, you know, we've had like website designs or our product just completely cloned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the UI yeah. just completely and utterly cloned. It, it just takes longer. This is just much more rapid copying. Yeah, I think from a sort of life perspective, I've always tried to just keep low stress. Like those, you know, those things are going to happen. And if you get too worked up by it, you're just going to live a life of of great stress. But that's, that's you know, an easy way to save. If this is your livelihood, um, then, you know, you might feel differently about that. I think one other technique would be to create the videos himself. So like get an AI tool that can create these videos and yeah. actually just produce the work himself and then... You know, if others are stealing it, it's like, well, they actually just copied my entire video then. Well, and then you can do a YouTube takedown and those kind of things as well. It probably is a, a good strategy if if you're able to do it. We don't know if he has the skills or time or, or inclination to do that, though. Yeah, so... You're probably right. That would be the best defensive strategy is just do it yourself and produce it better. Yeah, I think that's the only thing I can think of where you can put a stop to it is like if you can't beat them, join them is probably the only the way there. Uh, okay, so Zoom this week caused a bit of a, a stir by updating their, their terms of service and someone pointed out in the terms of service it would allow Zoom to train their AI potentially on content generated in meetings. And oh my I, God. And imagine how much you would have from that, like people's faces, the audio, social interactions. There's a lot of conversation that goes on on Zoom that isn't necessarily just a, a work meeting. Like there's all the, the small talk before it, uh, you know, personal calls. That, that, that data would be incredibly, incredibly valuable to train voice, video, and social models. It would have so much data on conversations about, is your mic working? Can you hear me? Uh, what's the weather like where you are <laughs> yeah. today? What time is it there? <laughs> You've accidentally left your pants off. 
<laughs> that kind of stuff. A fine-tuned model. Uh, but what what I find so funny is so there was all this outrage about Zoom's terms and conditions. People were getting really upset obvious, for obvious reasons that Zoom might be training AI based on all of this information they share in meetings, which in a lot of cases would be very proprietary. I could imagine, yeah, a large amount of it would be, yeah. And it really plays into this whole theme with OpenAI and, and the content being stolen that, you know, who owns what when it comes to training these AI models? And, and the controversy was so great that Zoom's CEO had to come out and say that uh, it says uh, he reiterated Hashim, who's the product, like they had a product at Zoom's comment that Zoom would gain user consent for any AI training in a LinkedIn post on Tuesday, adding that March terms of service changes were a mistake. We had a process failure internally that we will fix. Bullshit. That As is bullshit. if. That is, that is like the, uh, we've, we've screwed up here. We've upset everyone. Let's quickly make up an excuse. For AI, we do not use audio, video, or chat content for training our models without customer consent. Yet. yet. <laughs> you know, like, we haven't trained it yet, but we're building up a vast treasure trove of data. Um, that we can and will use. Yeah, some it says some still are worried the terms of service granted overly broad permissions while others question how the consent would work and whether one person could grant consent for all of the meeting participants. This is an absolute mess and it's going to become an increasing problem of who owns what data and again, probably back to copyright laws. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how copyright applies to like what you say on a call, like if you're producing IP when you speak, but certainly um, people would feel ownership over their own thoughts and face and likeness and voice. Like that's pretty, you know, that's kind of you in a way, like you wouldn't necessarily want someone who can just clone me um, without my consent. Definitely not. The, the hard what part about it... Is if they're listening, is why not? You know how you can do the free Zoom calls for up to 40 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it is and you don't need to pay? They should just say those. You can do it for double the length as long as you consent to having all your stuff uh, used for AI. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the way they're looking at it is building, you know, useful tools and training models based on, you know, things that happen in their product to then use that to just build, like make, more useful tools for their users. That's probably how it started. I don't think it's like, let's train super AGI off Zoom meetings. But Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, they must be looking at the AI revolution, looking at the data they have and saying, what can we do with this? It's natural. I mean, you wouldn't, anyone would try it in their situation. It's just, they've obviously tried to do it in a clandestine way instead of just being up and up front with everyone and say, hey, we want to experiment with this. Do you want to be part of it? kind of thing i just find it funny companies like zoom and then even open ai if you pay for chat gpt plus it used to be the saying that if you weren't paying you were the product but yeah. for a lot of these products we are paying and we are still the product yeah that's a good point i mean zoom's known for this though like they it came out years ago that they were actually monitoring all of the processes on your computer um, sending back data, all this sort of data about, they asked for all these overreaching permissions when you installed the app and it would just dump all the data about your entire computer usage back to them. So they're known for this and they've been doing it for years. People like decompiled the programs and looked at them and things like that. So I think this is a habit for them. It's not, this isn't an accident. And to say it was, is a joke. 
And my guess is they were probably already collecting the data and then just deciding if they could sort of update the terms and conditions and then start using it for their training. It really shows to the value of these sources of data, right? Like Zoom's data of all meetings. It's not really their data. It's it's the user's data in my opinion, but the way they would see it is it's their data and they, they can would. train yeah. this unique data set and this unique model on meetings that have occurred all around the world and continue to occur. I mean, who else has it? Google would from Google Meet, but they're probably the only other ones. Maybe Facebook from voice calls, but it's a totally different kind of nature of call. Google would probably have it, but they couldn't ship a product that, that uses it. <laughs> or that anyone would trust or rely upon. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't even think they're a threat anymore because they just can't deliver anything they say. Uh, you know, they just... And they... no one trusts them if they do. I mean, do you ever hear anyone talking about Palm? Like maybe incidentally or as a comparison, it's never talked about in real production or anything serious. I'd love to know if any listeners, because I know we have a lot of technical listeners, are any listeners actually using Palm? Like seriously? it it. I don't know anyone that... It even talks about it, mentions it. Uh, mm. it I mean, it... I've heard it. I've seen it mentioned in various times. Like, I think it's a competent model. I don't think there's anything bad about it. It's just that do you trust Google in the long run to support it? And I don't. I think the only way they'll stake their claim in this market is to acquire some successful entrants is, is probably the only way they'll they'll get in, uh, similar to how you know they, they've acquired other key category businesses now for years since doing search they haven't really invented much outside of gmail yeah that's right like a lot of their successful things like google analytics came from what was that program called again um we used to use it but yeah i know what you mean so the yeah this i think this theme of ownership and just this feeling now of like i feel really uncomfortable even using ChatGPT that I can't use certain features without saying, like putting it on that private mode. So you lose chat history and like various other benefits of the product, knowing full well that these guys are going to train on my proprietary data or the data I'm putting into the system. It, I, it really upsets me and unsettles me that I'm paying for this product and I can't have privacy when using that product. I know they're going to refine their their model on it. And I understand why they're doing it, but I think this is going to be a challenge moving forward for consumers and people buying AI products out there or just using software in general is like, are they using my data and how do I feel about them training on my data and then making potentially infinite money off that model? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, in our own business, I've noticed in the security questionnaires and things we get from our enterprise level customers there's explicit questions in every single one of them now about how you use ai models how they're trained and how our data will be used in them so i think at an enterprise level it's going to be really serious as to how the the data is kept for training and that that can actually be verified because companies with you know soc certifications and iso certifications they absolutely mustn't permit their data to be run through these models knowing that they will be used for subsequent training so it's a perfectly legitimate question and the reality is if you're using one of the big players you can't really i mean you sort of can guarantee it now but it's still transmitting that data it's still not something i can see big companies agreeing to so it is a serious issue and the fact that even when it's paid you can't be certain is is not something that's sustainable if this is going to be ubiquitous 
there might be a business opportunity here as well, which I think players like OpenAI have overlooked, which is just ChatGPT Enterprise, where it's 100% secure. Maybe they're already working on this and has other features that would benefit the enterprise. I know we talked about the Bing Chat Enterprise, where you could Mm. do analysis and do things like that that Microsoft put out there. But I, I think the reality is most of these enterprises now are catching on and banning ChatGPT usage, but it's almost like a sad thing because for 20 bucks a month or however much it is, the productivity gain in most white collar roles would be profound. But I, I wouldn't feel comfortable today saying to all of my team, like go and use ChatGPT and put code snippets and all sorts of things in it because you just know that it, it could leak in a, in a future chat or future conversation someone else is having with yeah, that AI. Yeah, and the other answer to it is obviously things like Amazon Bedrock and the other, the other click-to-deploy things where you can go in now even in Amazon and click-to-deploy Llama 2, for example, which is running on your own private server. I mean, with, within Amazon, but everyone runs in there. It's not like it's it's a an additional risk there. Um, and then you can run something for your own organization. But the thing against that is like, if we wanted to do that, say for our own organization, you'd have to figure out how to get in there and launch it, you know, customize it to yourself if you want. Then how do you provide access to it? What sort of interface does it have on top of it? There's a lot of work there. Like it, it's, it sounds simple. The, all these things sound simple and they're theoretically possible. But when you actually go to do them, there's quite a lot of work on top of that. And it, I'm sure it will be commercialized into products where someone will do all that part of it for you. But right now, I think that it's not that available. So this week, we had a, a pretty major announcement from NVIDIA on the hardware side of things. They announced a brand new, uh, let me bring it up here on the screen, NVIDIA DGX GH200. <laughs> if our confusion around A100s and H100s was not already terrible, this is going to get much worse. So yeah, the my GH... understanding is they've, they've sort of upgraded the hardware that they hadn't even released yet. So they hadn't even released it and they've announced a better version of it. Yeah, I really like how they explain it. The trillion parameter instrument of AI. It's got a, I like the instrument of AI. Yeah, that's a good word. It's a nice, nice word. Can you explain to listeners what what this means, why they've done it? Not really. I mean, I can try, (laughs) but (laughs) I tried reading through it. World-class analysis. Yeah, that's right. Come to us for your expert analysis. Basically, it's a, a lot more memory. Like, so... That one of the things about running models, especially on the inference side, is you need to have the whole thing in memory for it to be able to run. This is the reason why you see the different parameter size versions of things like Llama 2. There's like 7 billion parameters you can run on your MacBook Pro. There's 13 billion you need a fairly decent uh, graphics card, like a, th- a 4090 or 3090 to run it on. And then you've got the 70 billion, which you need an A100 and above in order to run. So presumably we're going to get much, much bigger models with many more millions or trillions, as they say, parameters. Now, for those to then subsequently run for inference, they're going to need larger graphics card. There is, of course, ways to to combine memory. So, for example, with Llama 2, one of the things you can do is combine your system memory with your GPU memory as additional memory. So they've got, sorry, I just said memory like 50 times, but you know what I mean? You can fuse the memory together and that helps, but it's still not as good as one GPU holding the whole thing in memory. 
And obviously there's multi-GPU systems and there's ways to link those up, but then there's communication time. So networking um, is one issue. They use this InfiniBand thing, which is, I don't really understand, but it's a way they communicate. But these new chips are going to use Ethernet instead, and they're going to have a really, really fast connection between them. So what it what the upshot is, is it just means much, much larger models will able be able to be run and faster. And when you say inference on these cards for those that you know aren't following all the sort of ai terms that just is like when you ask a question to chat gpt it's That's running right. inference. The inference is when you use the model that is pre-trained so you load all the model weights into memory which is what all the memory is for and then when you ask a question it runs it through that that neural net of which is held in memory and, and so, so in theory nvidia uh Nvidia's GH200, which is the the new uh, card that was released, has the same GPU as a H100, but it sounds like it just has a ton more memory as well. Yeah, that's right. The one I read about has 96 gig of HBM3, whatever the hell that means. I asked the AI earlier. I wonder if it answered me. But um, it's uh, like really a high bandwidth memory, a new generation of high-performance DRAM. So assuming my... Uh, AI girlfriend I'm chatting with is correct. That's what that is. And then it's got 512 gig of normal DDR5 RAM. So that's huge. You know, that's like 600 gig of RAM. And a lot of the biggest cards now are only pushing 100 gig. So it's like six times larger from that perspective, faster, and it has a better way of them working together. So NVIDIA themselves are putting together four systems that have 1,024 of these chips in them, all working together. So you can just think of the power of that, like as a massive supercomputer. But on an individual level, being able to access these cards, like if you had one of these right now, you could run anything there is, probably multiple versions of them on the one card uh, right now. And I think this foreshadows much bigger models coming and also just the fact that hopefully they'll make enough of them that that, that there's widespread use of, uh, available for So it. this means, in theory, I could run, if I put one of these cards in my computer, Llama to 70 billion parameter on my local box run inference really quickly and use that model. Yeah, and you could probably run something that's even bigger than that, like four or five times bigger than that when it comes out. How long do you think until everyone will just have these in every device? Is that where it's trending? I think so. I think it has to go in that direction because as people want to run local models and other things, it's just not appropriate for them to all sit in massive data centers where you've got to pay an hourly rate to access them. Yeah, It'll be exciting to see, like, once we have these powerful models in every device, like an Apple Watch and, you know, various devices just running locally. The, the question, though, will be, do they just become a lot more efficient so it just doesn't require this, like, infinite scale-up? Like, there's got to be a point where efficiency well, remember, can win. it's not just scaling the speed, it's scaling the memory, the amount of parameters. One of the reasons why when you run Llama 7 billion on your own computer, it isn't as good, is it simply just doesn't have a, as many pathways to go down and as much knowledge contained within it. And a lot of what people use the model for are that knowledge that's contained within it. Like all our discussion before about stealing content becomes less relevant if the content isn't there for it to reference. So I think that uh, the the memory thing is the real reason why. It, I mean, efficiency is part of it, of course, 
but and we've seen that they can make smaller models way more efficient but i think just if we're talking about getting towards general intelligent emergent behaviors and uh really just stuff that blows your mind that's where all the memory is needed so we have talked over the past few weeks about the inavailability of not only the hardware but also if you want to spin up uh, this hardware on cloud service it's not even available you mentioned that last week as well do you think these are the biggest problems right now for the development or or the advancement of ai and applications is, is yeah, this the I main do, problem if you look at it like it's all very well to run 7 billion 13 billion parameters locally but you're not working with the state of the art if you're doing that and the alternative is to essentially either spend twenty, thirty thousand dollars and buy yourself one of the the really high end cards that's capable of doing this and working with the latest stuff, or you're renting these clusters and renting servers on clusters to be able to do it. And I'm not even talking about training your own models. I'm talking about just inference. Like if you just wanted to play with Llama seventy billion, yeah, you can try it on Hugging Face. Yeah, you can try it on other things. But if you want to experiment with it. That's not really a sustainable way to work with the models. So then you look at, you know, I was looking around this morning on Reddit at different places people say you can rent GPUs and, you know, there's sites where you can rent it off someone's home computer for, say, a 3090 or whatever. Then there's the the Llama Labs one, which I've spoken about a couple of times, which currently, again, the same as last week, has no hardware available. There's nothing on there. I found another one this morning that's called Paper Something, um, and it's running on um, DigitalOcean. Um, and they have availability, but it's really quite scarce for something that is, is really, as you pointed out to me this morning, where did all the cards go? You know, like there just isn't that much casual availability. Then you think, okay, I'll get onto Amazon, but Amazon's high-end machines that have the GPUs in them come in configurations where it's like six cards, eight cards. So you're talking something like $40 an hour or $30 an hour to run a machine that has the power to use, say, Llama 70 billion. So if you just wanted to play around with it and learn from it and see how you could apply it yourself with the real thing, not the baby version that you run on your own computer, it's a very, very expensive undertaking and very hard to access. And, you know, when you, you say, okay, well, I'll tear the machine down when I'm done, but then it's like, okay, now I've got to get it back to where it was. And you kind of need to be have some DevOps skills to do that. It's just... It's just tricky to work with. And so I think that, yeah, availability of GPUs is is certainly constraining some people. I can't speak for everyone, but I, it's definitely something that means that we're not working at the level that we could be. I might sound like an idiot for saying this, hmm. but do you ever get the feeling right now all of the news is around the tools, the hardware, the lack of available hardware to train models. But day-to-day, really, what what has changed in our world so far with generative AI, large language models, like all of these innovations that have come through OpenAI initially releasing ChatGPT, which really awakened everyone to this. Like, really, it's like all we hear about is hardware availability, improved models, but... Are we really seeing any of the benefit at the consumer level or even a business level yet? It it feels like everyone's still mucking around with tools and trying things and it's a, a series of party tricks. And yeah, I'm not saying that I don't believe that that will change in the future. I think there's a lot of people out there building on these and figuring out ways to insert them 
you know, in, into different aspects of our lives. But the main call out I think that is interesting about this stuff or, or probably the most positive right now is just automating aspects of white collar work. That That seems to me that that's probably where a lot of this will go initially is, you know, like basic accounting stuff where it's like you have a question that you would normally ask an accountant. We talked about doctors last week. It will just take away a, a lot of, like automate some of the aspects of, of white collar work. That that seems like an, an obvious thing that would be disruptive. But outside of that, I just wonder, like we've got all of this, this hardware and all of these models being trained, like what, where, where is this leading? What are we going to see as a result of this? Yeah, I'm definitely seeing in the things I read an increasing skepticism around the, 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 where the large language models are taking us. People are very quick. So we saw last week, meta GPT, we've seen auto GPT, things like this. And, you know, when I read, say the comments on Hacker News and Reddit, people who were previously, there was say 50, 50 split between the skeptics and the, the people who are really excited and positive about it. It seems like the skeptics are winning now. It's really, uh, this sort of anemic response to it. It's like, yeah, but it, it's not really that good. Yeah, but really it's just this. And um, there really just uh, is a dying enthusiasm for it as as something that's revolutionary, like you say. And I kind of agree. I think that while the potential's there and we all talk about the potential, we're always talking in idealistic terms of it running at its absolute best in a, in a pre-configured scenario that's perfect for the problem we're talking about. But in practice, it's really just a chatbot in some cases, you know, like it's not, uh, it's not actually turning into these things yet. Yeah. The meta GPT criticism was an interesting one. We covered it last week and I think it's always important to clarify timeframes when we talk about these things. Like I'm definitely talking about the current timeframe we're in, like the, the maybe 12 to 24 months out where these systems are starting to show, and I thought the meta GPT last week, for those that didn't listen to the episode, it, it was a series of people on a software engineering team that they simulated and they all had a role to play in tasks and work together to build things like a, a blog management system. And some people even in the comments were critical of that saying, you know, it's not that impressive uh, or, or that useful. We saw that with auto GPT as well, where that's where it just kind of goes off and you give it a goal and it just goes and tries to figure it out. There's not really that many interesting use cases of it. It's just interesting as a party trick right now. But I do think it shows where things can go or get to with improved models or whatever new technologies evolve and what we should expect in the future. The, the part I struggle with a little bit now though is, you know, what can you really push in terms of the capabilities of what we have today to get output that is potentially, you know, very disruptive to, to the world we live in. Yeah, exactly. And I think those, the thing about those cases that you spoke about is they are very domain constrained, particularly the meta GPT. It worked in that example, but it was picking an example where it knows the most. I mean, code generation has been the first thing that the models did really, or the first thing that everyone experienced and they they showed off. So that part we know it's decent at. 
And then in terms of playing the different roles, it's like, well, were they really different roles or was it just the model taking different aspects of the same problem? I mean, it is the same model, just given a different persona. So is it the same model just doing different tasks, essentially? And that was one of the criticisms that really stood out to me and actually made me think was, We've spoken a lot about the idea of, well, the future of AI is not going to be one. It's going to be thousands or millions of them all working together. But the criticism is, well, if it's the same model, just with a different aspect or a different personality, underlying, it's still being trained on the same data. It's still the same weights. Is it really that different? Or is it just like having a million college students all working together on one problem? Is it actually more intelligent or is it just pretending to be different roles and i actually think that's valid criticism which i don't know what i think about well from my experience toying around with it i don't necessarily i think if you're dumb enough to just put the same model with a different persona together and expect to get some novel outcome is stupid what i think it's really good at is focusing the model at a particular point on a specific skill set so it's saying you know, you are the product manager, your job is the following and confining how that that model uh, is working at that particular point in a project to, to have, um, you know, like context, you might have some data stored in that particular model or that model fine-tuned on a particular skill set or, or source of knowledge. And at that step, when it's calling on that agent, it's got the sort of refined... Uh, model or fine-tuned model and then it's got the persona that's looking at the solving the problem from that particular angle so i just think if you're just going to load up gpt4 with like a persona and put them all together like maybe that helps focus the model at each stage on a particular problem but i still come back to you're going to have to have these specialist trained or fine-tuned models available for each agent in that mix and that's where you would see the benefit i mean maybe we should just put this to the test instead of theorizing about it it just doesn't seem like anyone's done it yeah i think we've definitely seen that thought guidance can give much much better outcomes and that's enough to to for me not to dismiss the idea out of hand i still do think that's the future of it i still think like you say specialist models in particular areas of expertise all working together is where we're going to get to and while right now okay i sort of do understand the criticism it's not enough for me to say we're not going there i guess just back to your original point it's just that right now you know today we're not seeing the benefits of that kind of thing yet they're just these as they say they're toy models that get a lot of github stars but where's the actual meat where's the actual thing that's that's helping society or business or whatever it's designed for i just think about my day-to-day life right like how am i using ai in my day-to-day life now today and it's still i'm just still using chat gpt uh to get like you know really it's just an evolved version of google uh that's helping you know, I'm asking it questions. I'm helping it to think through. I'm using it for code examples. I'm I'm using it for learning a ton. Like I couldn't live without it. I couldn't go back now. And then I'm using it to literally read my kid Batman stories in the evening. And he just takes it for granted now and thinks that he can dream up any plot points and he can have this perfectly trained story admittedly i use claude for that because it's much superior at writing in fact it blows my mind now i'm starting to 
not fine tune it, but tune how I ask it, like my prompts hmm. to get a, a great story. And I read them down. I'm even like excited about the plot and they always have twists, <laughs> which I honestly, it, it does really good twists. So, so that's like my day to day. Right. And then, you know, in my car, I have a Tesla. We, we in Australia don't have the full self-driving beta, but I, I definitely use it. You all- just let ChatGPT drive the <laughs> yeah, car. Yeah, <laughs> I've wired ChatGPT in. But I'm, I use Autopilot all the time and every software release, that seems to just get better and better and smoother and smoother. So I guess that's an application of it. But outside of that, I just can't help as an observer look at the explosion of all this hardware and think like, what else are we getting here, guys? Like... I mean, it's probably like any new technology. There's the the initial excitement and all the possibilities, but the actual rise of it is sort of in the background and more gradual. I wonder if we'll see it, in, well, we will see it increasingly in more products. It'll get to the iPhones at some point, and then suddenly it's just part of life and it's everywhere rather than it being like today and then tomorrow we've got it in everything. It'll sort of creep up on us. Yeah, I still see it as like we've got this new tool. It's like a shovel. We're now figuring out really great ways of making shovels and refining the design of the shovel. And then one day the shovel will just be everywhere. It's like, it's just a shovel. Who cares? And it makes you wonder if meanwhile, the the hardware vendors are just absolutely munching up the money, uh, providing everyone with the things to make their tools. Yeah. And and the it, it it's very reminiscent, like I've said many times, of the early days of the internet. It's like, how will this impact the world and it took years and years and years to change the world where now everything we do is online banking shopping like it it really is well i mean i don't know about you but most like maybe i go to low quality restaurants but everywhere i go now it's like scan the qr code you've got to order on our app like i the human will no longer take your order you've got to do it on this machine yeah so i i think it's it's going to be weaving its way into everything but Back to the skepticism, I do agree with you. I think there has been some sort of like negative term where everyone's like, oh yeah, here we go again with announcements. Maybe it's fatigue or maybe it's now we just take these wild technologies for granted. Yeah. And I I see that every time someone wants to criticize, they point to hallucinations. That's the big one. They're all like, oh yeah, it may have the intelligence of a college student, but a college student who just actually just makes up garbage. And Look, it's fair, but do you want it to work or don't you? Like, I think in some cases, the skeptics are sort of the the ones who were under threat from it. And they're grateful to latch on to anything they can that's negative about it to say, oh, well, no, 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 AI is not going to be a big deal because of this. Or like we're, we're 10 years off because it hallucinates. And yeah, well, last I- week we talked about accountants, uh, doctors, Hollywood, all of these different industries sort of fighting back or being very resistant to it. You said it's inevitable. It's going to happen. People are going to use it for this stuff. And I think Mm. it's already to a large extent starting to happen now where people are asking AI these questions. And these are just people that are resistant to change and they're in denial. Yeah. I mean, look, you don't want your doctor prescribing you chlorine gas and (laughs) mosquito-resistant potatoes. But um, I think that there'll be ways to verify that information. And there's always going to be a percentage of people who will inherently trust it or look to it as an alternative with the cost of living going up. It's a lot cheaper to ask this stuff than it is to go to the doctor all the time, for example. Well, I mean, I have a a real world case for you, um, which I've already told you about, but I'll tell everyone listening. So, you know, (laughs) that that, (laughs) 
Last night, I decided to feed all of the Australian tax law into the AI to see if I could build an accountant style persona and then ask it questions, which I already knew the answer to, to validate if it's that effective. Mm -hmm. And every time I do these exercises, I just get my mind absolutely blown. I mean, this thing is so intelligent. I was like, how can I avoid tax? How can I do this and that? And then I would ask it to refer to the specific law as to why that is definitely legal to, to validate and verify it. And I've got to say, like, it wouldn't necessarily replace an accountant yet for me, but it would replace like about 80% of the questions that I would ask an accountant that I might feel dumb asking or just that I want to know well, the answer they, to I quickly. mean, they charge you by the, the minute, most of them, right? Isn't it by the second? Emails. I think mine charges by the second. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, I, I, I sometimes fear, I definitely fear asking accountants and lawyers questions because I know it's hourly billing and I'm going to get charged a fortune. So if you can ask, and so I, I, therefore I stay ignorant because I don't ask the questions. And I could see in those cases where, okay, look, there's a chance it hallucinates, but if it's just answering those questions, there's some level of verification there. It gives you sources, which it's perfectly capable of doing. Then absolutely I can see it functioning well in those scenarios yeah so uh on x i gotta get used to that on x this week someone posted open ai i'll link to this in the in the show notes open ai web visits down for the first time from 1.9 billion in may to (laughs) 1.7 billion in june oh no it's over I mean, mean, it could be seasonal could be anything i mean that's yeah how do they even know anyway if they're tracking it externally it will be interesting to see if this trend continues, if there's just a downward trend or if it's like a summer thing or it's just the initial spike going over. But it may actually play into that skepticism or trough of disillusionment where everyone's like, yeah, we get it, but they just get back to their life. Yeah. I think in some cases I was having this conversation with you before the podcast, but one of the things I was saying is like, think about when you have cliff notes for a book or a summary of the book. Like, let's say you have to read Wuthering Heights and you're like, screw that, it's a dumb book. I'll just get the the points, right? You don't really have the same feeling reading the main outcomes or morals or theme plot points from a book that you do reading the book. Like when you read the book, it becomes part of you really. And you have that information to draw on and you sort of you go through the process of coming to your own conclusions. So a bot, an AI bot that can synthesize huge amounts of information, it doesn't make you an expert. It's like having a smart friend that you can ask a question anytime and it will answer, but it doesn't make you smarter. It doesn't become part of you. So I could see why people would become disillusioned with chat GPT after a while, because if you're asking it questions on a particular topic to become more familiar with that topic you're probably not really gaining education from it or learning it's just convenient for you and if you don't have a lot of stuff that you need to ask on a regular basis then what's in it for you really it's just as easy to type it into google yeah you that's what i was going to say is you could compare it to google searching though for anything where i feel like when i don't have my phone with me these days i'm dumber because I yeah. can't just Google it or ask. And there's no questions anymore where you're sitting around having a drink and you're speculating on something. Immediately, there's always someone in the group that's like, I'll just look it up. And it yeah. sort of takes the fun out of the the hallucinations that humans sit around hallucinating on on topics and subjects, like that storytelling nature of things. And I think there is an element with AI when you're just constantly chatting to this thing of, 
like dehumanizing the whole process of learning where it's like you you know you ask it stuff like you said you get the book summary and you sure you answered the question but did you actually take it in or learn anything yeah the only up uh, the, the only positive side i think of it is i don't think i've ever in my life had more independent thoughts like as in I actually really think about things now and question the source of knowledge more than ever. And maybe that's just growth in my own life or reading book. I read a lot of books or whatever it is, but I don't take things at face value no matter what they are anymore, because I guess because of the hallucinations or whatever it is, but I definitely take the time to think about alternate perspectives now. Um, and that's helped me, but I don't know if that would be a universal reaction. It's just that, um, not being able to trust the source of information sort of makes you think for yourself to some degree. Yeah, I also think with the the whole idea of alignment with these models, that has woken people up to this idea that, hey, someone has maybe aligned this thing to yeah. a certain viewpoint. So therefore, I should question everything it says. I, I should question the bias in this. And Perhaps it's actually making us better critical thinkers as a whole. Yeah, like you've just said what I was, I was bragging about how many independent thoughts I have, and you've just said it way better than I'd uh. I could have or did. Uh, so talking about like novel uses, to, to put the skepticism aside, I thought this was like a really interesting call out of something you would never think to use an LLM for. This is, uh, again, by Ethan Mollick, who we quote on the show a lot. I'll, I'll link to him in the, in the show notes. So this is literally using a large language model for industrial control of a HVAC system, which I know is not terribly exciting, but... They're the ones they always leave exposed to the internet when you can find them on Showdown and stuff. Uh, yeah, and like, you know, turn on and off different Yeah, like aircons. open the walls of a dam and stuff like that <laughs> from the comfort of your own home. It's, it's, it's weird more walls of dams aren't just randomly opening, though. Like, no one's ever got the guts to actually go and do it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like just because it's theoretical doesn't mean you'd actually do it. So this is the this is the objective of this HVAC LLM. This is what I mean. Like these LLMs are penetrating society, but it's just really boring and slow. Yeah, so when, that's right. If you give them to industrial control systems, when it finally does take over, that's how it's gonna, um, you know, exact its revenge or whatever. So it says you are a HVAC administrator. Your primary objective is to fine tune. Uh, the actions to maintain the temperature in each room close to the target temperature while maximizing the rewards as much as possible. So it's, I mean, it's a pretty damn cool use. It's like mm. this pseudo intelligence thinking through the strategy in terms of cooling and heating, you could optimize it towards efficiency. So I think these, these are the applications we're going to see, really not cool. necessarily everyone's vision of flying cars and killer robots and things like that. The, yeah. And especially with like the, the function control and output control, you can you can restrict it to parameters on things like that where um, it knows what powers it has and how to use them and that kind of thing. That's that's a really cool one. It really is becoming though this plugin for developers, even though a lot of them are threatened by it, that can just add a ton of intelligence and categorization and and this yeah, this beautiful intelligent element into code and systems that we're building throughout society. So I think that it could just become as simple, at least in the, the next couple of years, as just like using an SQL database, that that same yeah, idea. It's another argument for what we were saying earlier about the availability of hardware needs to be there because a system like that, you probably don't want to be reliant on an internet connection 
and the, their API being up and not slow and all that sort of stuff, you really, really want to be running the inference on a card that you control that's industrial strength and um, all that sort of stuff because it's pretty dangerous. I mean, changing the temperature of a room may not be the big thing, but if you're using it in proper industrial control, you can't have that level of dependencies there uh, that could go that could go wrong and, and completely screw everything up. So also this week, Anthropic announced their latest version of Claude Instant. We've covered Claude 2, which is their latest model on the show before. <laughs> but this is version 1.2 of Claude Instant, which is the really fast, and it is super fast, version of their large language model. It's cheaper, so it's a much lower price now. Um, and they said they've taken a lot of the learnings from Claude 2 and brought it over into Claude 1.2. So apparently it's better at... Uh, mathematics, uh, reasoning, and coding now. Now, I haven't had time to validate any of this myself or a, a, a great way to do that. But I would say that my personal experience with Claude, like I said, is it's a much better summarizer, a much better storyteller. So it'll be interesting to see how how good at, at coding and doing various other things that they've been able to make it. Yeah, like you say, I think the, the speed there with the quality is, is what makes it so good. Like it's really good at things like classify, like they all are, but like really good at things like fast classification, generating options for the user to choose, uh, generating say text to voice is really good where you need the speed. It's very important. You can't rely on a huge model to take 20 seconds to give you a reply. Um, when you want to say generate speech as a response. So I think it's really good for that and also really good for the little jobs. You know, we spoke before about how using something like Llama 7 billion, when you've got little jobs for a thing to do, like make a title for this blog post or, um, you know, present the user with choices uh, that will lead to one of these outcomes. You don't want to use the big heavy lifting models for that. These, these tiny like 3.5 Turbo and uh, Claude Instant are what you want to use for there. So it's great to see them updating those and keeping them going so you can push more of your work onto the cheaper model and reserve the big boys for when you when you really need it. So speaking of, of or like text to audio models that you just mentioned, so Audio LDM 2 was released this week as well. It's a text to audio music and speech generation model. Uh, I have an example for you in a moment <laughs> that I'll share. Mm. But this is similar to the the meta release last week where it can generate sounds like background sounds and also do speech generation. Although from my early testing, it wasn't so great. I tried to get it to say, you beauty mate as an Australian woman and let me play for you what it actually came up with. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. This is like a horrendous sound so it was like the early days of stable diffusion where you tried to generate people and it came up with these grotesque melted plastic melted skin looking things but again it's like selective selective prompt demoing i guess like listen to this is it in action force transferred to newgate to be put upon their trial at the central criminal sounds really good like a news broadcast i don't know if i'm just using it wrong but then i said a man speaking clearly at an airport talking about politics because that was literally one of the examples they had mm -hmm. and then let me play this i mean it's just horrible background noise so yeah i mean i guess it's sort of like like a freaky modern baby learning where when it makes mistakes it makes bizarre mistakes because it doesn't quite get to where it needs to be 
Yeah, but, um, and I guess that brings me back to the earlier point around some of this skepticism. You can see where it's coming from because it is. It's like children and babies learning and you're in that that stage of frustration with your child. Like, come yeah. on, man, learn faster. And I think there's people like us who are so enthusiastic about the technology and talk about it and think about it all the time. I'm only ever with people in my life giving cherry-picked excellent examples, including to you. Like whenever I send you anything that I've discovered that the AI can do really well, I'm only picking the cases where it's brilliant and amazing and exciting. I'm not showing you all the shit times where it completely screwed up and and it it seems stupid or made some epic mistake. You know, so I think there is an element of that and, and people would be seeing through that and understanding that, okay, for every time it does something brilliant, it also does something like truly awful and bizarre. And it's it's that consistency. I think that's why we see things like the benchmarking, like there's this unicorn one that like gets it to draw an SVG of a unicorn as the models change to show its abilities. And there's a lot of screw ups on there. I think that's why some people lean to, oh, well, look, it screwed this up. So therefore it's it's a write-off, it's not worth it. And then there's other people pointing to its brilliant examples and saying, um, this is amazing, but it's really what everyone wants is the consistency. We want something we can rely upon. Um, and and that's probably where the model refinements like Claude Instant 1.2 and things, these companies are working towards getting models you can rely on. I think there's definitely two groups now. There's one group that is realizing this is like the internet all over again and will be just as life-changing uh, as the internet was. To... Or crypto bro hucksters. Yeah, that's what I was literally about to say. And then there's people that see our podcast as like two crypto bros discuss the latest bro down on like whatever. I don't even know how to act like those crazy things you see all over the internet where they're like, <laughs> you know, if I had two cans and then I, you know, put my mind to it, then I'd have three cans and I'd be rich from some yeah, crypto scam. Yeah, and then scams. just describe the Ponzi scheme or whatever. Coming soon, the This Day in AI crypto coin. <laughs> we should start a Ponzi scheme. That would be a great we idea. Should totally do an ai crypto scam that would be like all of the buzzwords combined <laughs> yeah ai crypto scam actually AI you know what our horse point. racing agent could only take uh our crypto bro coins to use it so you've got to insert one crypto bro coin into the horse racing predictor to get your winning bet which always <laughs> loses <laughs> I like it. That'll sell. It would be great. All right. That's all we have time for this week. You told me to remind the, the, the audience that we are uh, how many reviews away six, from... Six reviews away from 100 reviews. And they we don't have to be positive. You could do negative ones too if you want, but it'd be nice to hit 100. We just want to hit the goal of 100 reviews. This is on Apple though, right? Because there's many different things i think it's on apple yeah and i only care about real feedback tell the truth like i love hearing what everyone's using ai for what they think of our podcast all that sort of stuff any feedback's great and, and we really appreciate everyone who's done it and a bit more would be lovely yeah so help us get to 100 reviews if you wish uh and yeah thanks for all the comments the the liking the subscribing all of those things that uh we're meant to mention we're not good, we're not good at that are we we're like, terrible at promoting like subscribe it kind of thing but it's great. We now have like, just to fill everyone in, uh, almost 150,000 listeners every month across multiple platforms. That is so weird to me that that many of you listen. We do appreciate it. And we'll be back yet again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.